1: That's stamps.com. Code program. You're listening to Cork Today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed.
0: This is Cork Today. Cork Today. With Patricia Messenger on C103. Cork Screen.
2: And a very good Thursday morning to you hoping we find each and every one of you in good form as I say it has been a bit of a it's a a bit of a drizzly old start to the day but we look forward to the bright sunshine later on this afternoon. Bernie and Sadie are taking your calls as John Paul continues to have his week off yes, so if there's anything you want to share with us give the girls a call 1850 333 103. You can also text and WhatsApp to 086 103, 103 Can I start by referencing a WhatsApp that's in, or sorry it's a that's in from a listener who is looking for some advice. Let's see if we can give this listener some help. Says Patricia, would any of your listeners know exactly what happens during a driving test during these COVID-19 times? It says on the RSA website that most of the test is done outside. What exactly does that mean? It also states the tester and the client must wear a face covering during the driving test I would find this scary. Do you know of anyone who's had a driving test the new way, please? And uh, thank you, uh, Patricia. OK, so I did, did, I did a quick check on the RSA website and the driving tests, they've only been back in since Monday. So I don't know how many driving tests have happened in our, our area since Monday. We're, we're putting the shout out to anyone who did a driving test or maybe somebody in your household did a driving test this week. Could you let us know how did the person get on? How did you get on? But I've checked up on the RSA website and you know they go through the usual things about making sure that you don't have any uh, COVID-19 uh, symptoms or anything uh, like that. But it does say on their website that customers and driver testers will be provided with a mask, a face covering during the test which must be worn. Now they do say that customers who cannot wear a face covering for whatever reason you need to notify the RSA prior to your uh, test and they also do say and this is to reduce contact that weather permitting as much activity as possible between the driver tester and the customer will take place outdoors and I imagine that's to do with, you know, the questions that you get asked. Normally you sit in the office inside in the test centre and you have a little bit of a chat with the driver, tester and then you go back in afterwards. So I'm assuming all of that if it's a nice, fine, sun, sunny day, they'll be able to do that outside, including hopefully telling you that you have passed uh, your test. And of course, there's also, and we knew this before they started back the tests, that access to the driving test centre is restricted to the person doing the test only. Accompanying approved driving instructor and family members of friends must remain outside. And, and we knew uh, we knew that that was going to be the way, but the testing Driving tests have started back since Monday. So, anyway, can we help our listener out who's obviously has a test date and is a bit nervous about it all and is unsure of how it actually works and especially around the face covering part of it and how much of it was actually done outside? Uh, outside the actual centre itself, so if anybody can share with us their journey of a driving test during these COVID nineteen times, let us know 1850-333-103. And today is the day that we wait to hear from the government. And the July stimulus package, which is worth almost seven billion is what they're going to put back into the economy with this July stimulus. One of the main stories I think that everybody's talking about, and I heard it on our news with Mairead earlier uh, this morning, is this tax back scheme for people who are going on holidays or people who are going out for meals. And it seems couples we could claim back as much as €250 euro on hotel and restaurant bills under the government's what they're calling it the staycation subsidy. It's going to be a tax-back scheme. Now, it will run from October of this year until April of 2021. And there was some criticism where people said, "Actually, we're going away on holidays in July and August. We won't be able to claim anything back. Then there was talks that would kick in in September. But I suppose what they're trying to do is they're trying to, during, during those months, from October to April, which are the quieter months for the tourism trade. They're trying to sort of get people out and about, maybe to go away on a little bit of a break or encouraging people to go go out and have meals in your local restaurants. So the tax back scheme will apply to hotels and food in restaurants, um, but you can't Put your drink, your bar bill on. It will be non-alcoholic drinks you'll be able to claim back uh, as well. Holiday makers and diners, you'll have to spend up to 625 euro and by doing that then you'll be able to claim back 125 euro tax rebate if you're a couple though you can claim back 250 euro. Now we're told uh, according to the papers today that last night the final touches were being put to the scheme ahead of the announcement and the announcement is expected today. The rebate scheme will be the first of its kind. Nothing like this has ever been done in this country before and it's to encourage all of the consumers to spend money in the hard-hit tourism and hospitality sector. The scheme has been developed by the Finance Minister, Pascal Donoghue, and the Tourism Minister, Catherine Martin. And it is, we're told, one of the centrepieces of the government's July stimulus package. The government is still, though, deciding on how the rebate will be claimed. And it's examining whether an online system or perhaps an app could be used to make claiming the rebate as customer friendly as possible. And I think in order for this to work and be a success, they have to make it as customer friendly as possible. I heard, for example, one option that they're looking at would be an app whereby as soon as you finished your meal or as soon as you've paid your hotel bill, you would scan the receipt into the app on your phone and then it would get sent directly to revenue and then you get the refund that way. I mean, they made it sound... The app made it sound very, very easy indeed, but if they want to encourage uh, people to get back out there and to start spending money on the tourism uh, sector, then make it as easy as possible. So we'll wait and see, will that get announced today? Will how the rebate actually works get announced today or not? Now the economic stimulus uh, will also include several business-focused measures and this will be aimed at assisting employers who have been severely affected by coronavirus. The Temporary wage subsidy scheme that is going to extend certainly into next year. They're going to continue the waiver on commercial rates that's expected to be announced today. They're also going to allow businesses to defer their VAT bill for a period without being penalised. So that's also the good news for businesses and many businesses are already struggling. I'm also very interested to listen out for uh, small town Ireland is expected to receive a major boost through a range of measures which is aimed at reviving rural towns and villages as part of the July stimulus package. The COVID-19, it's been seen as a COVID-19 mini budget. It will include many funding schemes aimed at creating employment and creating businesses in small rural communities. For example, they're talking about uh, expanding the Restart Grant Scheme that allows B&B sports clubs to draw down funding, anything from as little as 4000 up to 25000 There's also going to be new funding for community centres seeking to reopen while adhering to health and safety standards. There's many community centres would love to reopen but they can't because there's all these different health and safety standards that will have to be adhered to because of COVID-19 and many would say rightly so. If you're opening a community centre for the community you want to keep the community safe. But these community centres are run by the local people. Fundraising has stopped In many times it's the community centre gets thrown open in order to do the fundraising and they haven't been able to do that. So they really are caught between a rock and a hard place. So if they can give any kind of funding to those community centres to get them back up and running, They can be the heart of the uh, community. So that certainly has got to be welcomed. There is a 20 million euro fund being spoken about, which will be created to back local businesses such as small boutiques and menswear shops that want to sell clothes online, ones that haven't been doing it uh, so far. They're also talking about 10 million euro of an investment into the existing town and village renewal scheme. That supports local initiatives aimed at rejuvenating a rural community. There are plans to create, for example, an extra 23,000 places on community employment schemes. And the government really wants to ensure that there is a balance between investment in urban areas and in a rural area. So we will keep our fingers crossed that the rural parts of this country will not be forgotten about. The Climate Action Minister, Eamon Ryan, he's going to get his... Top and safety work then, he's expected to announce a hundred million euro in a retrofitting scheme. Now obviously there's two advantages to that it will create employment but at the same time of course and from a Green uh, party leader uh, what he'll be most interested in it will reduce carbon emissions. Catherine Martin she's also the Culture Minister she's going to announce new funding to allow venues to hold live performances again while still adhering to social distancing rules theatres and concert venues they've all been forced to close their doors now for over four months due to Covid and it's hoped that funding will help them prepared to reopen to the public in the coming months. And the the the, the big issue I see with venues like that and uh, theatres, OK, they'll have to do the social distancing. So that means the amount of tickets that they can sell to put the bums on seats is going to be hugely reduced. So if they're trying to put on some kind of a show, it just will not be economically viable if they can't sell as many tickets. So they're going to need some kind of a grant aiding to allow those shows... And concerts and various things to go on so that the people in the industry, in the you know, the, the world of drama, in the, the music industry, that they will be allowed to get back to work. But at the same time, people, theatre and concert goers will be able to go back out and enjoy these concerts and enjoy these plays and sort of make life feel a little bit normal again. So uh, we'll wait to see what the Culture Minister, Catherine Martin, has to say later today. And then the Housing Minister, Daryl O'Brien, he secured around 60 million euro and that will be to buy and refurbish vacant houses. The additional funding will be used to create, again, business for the small contractors locally. But of course, the big plus there is it will get people off the housing list. So there's a lot of I mean, at the moment, it's all the rumour machine of what is expected to be announced in the July stimulus, but it's up to about seven billion is expected to be announced by way of um, grants and investing in various communities. So uh, we wish everybody luck with it. And hope that they do manage to achieve what they set out to uh, achieve now yesterday we had a lot of focus and a lot of talk about people travelling into this country, people travelling out of this country and this was the so called green list, which did I have to say caused uh, an amount of confusion uh, yesterday. The government now it seems is planning to introduce random. Covid-19 testing of passengers who arrive in Ireland from countries which is a high incident of the virus. I take it that would be welcomed uh, by many people, even though some will say every single person who decides to come into this country should be tested at the airport as they do in other countries. And we do know that passenger numbers are increasing significantly with people coming into this country, but on the flip side, people going out of uh, the country. So there's a number of new measures are expected to be announced on the 10th of August when we move into reopening uh, phase four. But one of them is the idea of doing now at the moment they're saying random targeting testing uh, will be uh, carried out. How much testing? What exactly does that mean? I don't know. It's just what's been spoken about at the, at the moment. And the government is still in the process of setting up a new system for monitoring people who come into this uh, country. They had a cabinet meeting on Monday and after that meeting ministers said plans to strengthen the existing measures for monitoring passengers who arrive into this country include the introduction of the electronic passenger locator form so people would fill them in electronically rather than at the moment they're asking people to fill in. It's a card that they had to fill in and as we know some people have been refusing to do it and even though people who were filling it in were were not even giving the correct information in uh, some cases so they're looking at doing it as an electronic passenger locator form and they also say that there will be enhanced follow-up procedures and that a call centre will be operated by the Dublin Airport Authority because that has been a big problem that people have come into this country. We've heard countless times of people who didn't even get a phone call during Even the people who were abiding by all the rules and regulations and were self-isolating. Nobody checked to see if they were self-isolating. We had very worrying figures on the number of people when they when they did try to ring people they'd either given a wrong number or they didn't answer at the phone. So I mean if we're allowing people into this country and we are saying to them they need to self-isolate, they need to stay in a certain location, then I think checks and counter checks need to be put in place to make sure that they are doing what, what they are doing. But checking people at the airport, I think, is one that a lot of people certainly would uh, welcome. And the visitors from the countries that are deemed to have high levels of COVID-19, this is another suggestion that's been uh, that's been put out, they may be required to produce a negative test for the virus, before they would be allowed to travel to Ireland. It was the Foreign Affairs Minister Simon Coveney was speaking about this yesterday and he said passengers from the so-called red list countries The majority of the world's countries, because there was only what 15 made our green list yesterday. He said we may ask them to provide a certificate showing that they had tested negative for COVID 19 and they would need to have had the test done in the past 48 hours before they would be allowed. To board a plane to come to Ireland, and Minister Coveney says they may be able to get tested in a credible way forty-eight hours before coming, and then effectively have a certificate that shows they have tested negative before being allowed into the country. He says, "I certainly think that would be helpful if we could put a system like that in place." And it seems. It's been done in other countries. Austria seemingly have been doing it and doing it very successfully. So if Austria can do it, why can't we do it? And if people want to come to this country bad enough that they want to either come on a holiday or they want to come visit family members, I don't think anyone would object to going, paying for a COVID-19 test, getting a certificate to say they don't have it. And you would use that along with your boarding pass. You would not be allowed onto the plane to come to this country unless you had that certificate uh, with you because the big, big worry for people who live in our tourist hotspots are the number of people that are travelling from either all over Ireland going to tourist destinations, but also people coming from overseas. And I'm reading in the paper today that staycation favourites like Kerry and Sligo are among the counties that have seen a rise in COVID-19 cases. Sligo for example, they went from having 138 cases, they jumped by 10 to 148. Kerry's numbers went from 310 to 316 and Galway, they saw an even bigger rise. They went from 465 cases to 492 as the country started to open up. Now, it is unclear how much tourist traffic is behind the higher numbers or whether it is just due to the fact that there is greater movement of people within those uh, counties that we've all been enjoying since the the easing of uh, lockdown. But it is worrying for the people that live in those uh, areas. The official figures, of course, for yesterday, 17 new cases and sadly we lost one more people to COVID-19. And Dr. Uh, Roland Glynn says he appreciates so difficult it is for people to limit their social activity and to physically distance from friends and loved ones. But he said these actions are vital to the collective effort to suppress what is a highly contagious disease. And of course, the big one is to work towards opening up the schools. And then yesterday, uh, Paul Reid, the HSE, a chief said there was a significant and a worrying trend in infections over the last 10 days. Uh, that is, he said it's been felt amongst the medical staff, it's been felt among the public health team. And what he did by way of explanation, he looked at two 14 day periods. He said, if we take from July 5th to July 18th and compare that to the previous 14 day period, it shows. 264 total confirmed cases in that pe- period, but the previous 14 days only had 155. So there was a marked increase. The numbers are still low, but it is still going in the wrong direction. Also, what was interesting was the age of the people. Who are testing positive? The median age is now at at 33, and 77% of those who are testing positive are less than 45. When you would have looked back at the height of the pandemic, it would have been the much older age group. Uh, we're picking up COVID-19. Uh, it is not the case uh, anymore. The majority of cases, of course, are still in Dublin. Kildare then is the next country. And then we here in Cork, we have 6% of all of the cases are here in Cork, but over 50% of them, of course, are in Dublin. GP referrals are also a significant increase. Uh, they've increased by about 20% in the last two weeks since the easing of lockdown. And then close contacts. When somebody tests positive and then they need to contact their close contacts, They're on the increase. Uh, What's happening now uh, is um, before, before when we were still in lockdown, if somebody tested positive, there was only two other people had to be contact traced. Now that figure has gone to 5.4 for every case that is testing positive. But Paul Reid said he is particularly worried at the number of people who are not turning up either for the initial what they call the day zero test for COVID-19 or then the later, the follow up uh, test, which is done at seven days. These are people who get a phone call that their contact trace to say you have been with somebody who has tested positive for COVID-19. You must now self-isolate for 14 days. But on day one, you go and you get a test that's called the day zero test. And then seven days later, if that test is negative, seven days later, you come back and you get another test and you still self-isolate for the 14 days. But what they're what they're seeing now, the no-shows for the first day is 25%. But then the no-show for the second test on day seven is at 50%. Because I think when people, those that do go forward for the first test, once they get a negative result, if they don't have any symptoms for the next seven days, they're kind of, sure why would I bother going to have that test uh, again? Which is a real worry. Because on the second test on day seven, of people who tested negative on day one test positive on day seven. So it's a real worry to hear that 50% of the people are just not coming forward. So Paul Reid highlighting that yesterday, saying to people, please, if you are contact traced, and we know already so many people will refuse to go forward there has been talks that maybe the Garda uh, might get involved and force people if you've been contact traced and told you must have a test that people need to go forward 1850 333 103 Bernie and Sadie taking your call John by WhatsApp says Trish I've got two friends who will be heading down to Shirkin after the bank holiday weekend for a few days and wondering would they have to quarantine for two weeks when they come home thanking you says John no not at all If you're sta- Shurkin is a staycation and they'll have a wonderful holiday Great island. To visit, I hope they have a, a lovely, uh, lovely holiday. And by the way, thank you to Martin uh, Hennessy, who is a driving instructor in Charleville. He's going to join us after eleven to talk us through what the new driving test well it looks like now with uh, COVID-19 and he'll go through it for those people who have a driving test booked and are just nervous about what's going to happen with the new rules and regulations. Let's take a break and we catch up with Nursing Homes Ireland. Record today on C103.
0: Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086 2103
2: 103 Now Nursing Homes Ireland say it would be useful to have an early warning system that alerts nursing homes of any increase in COVID-19 cases in their area to discuss this and to see how Nursing Homes are getting on. I'm joined by Tyke Daly, Chief Executive of Nursing Homes uh, Ireland. Good morning to you, Tyge. Good morning, Patricia. Uh, and you're welcome. Now, this really seems like a no-brainer. Are nursing homes given any information about COVID-19 in their region at present?
3: Yeah, well, I suppose what we're, what we're monitoring at present is basically the public data that's uh, provided on a, on, on a website through the Health Protection Surveillance Centre. So we've made the suggestion, as you said in our submission to the expert panel and to government, is that th- th- there should be an enhanced reporting mechanism there, if you like, for uh, all healthcare facilities, in fact, not just nursing homes, so that you can monitor community tr- community transmission, because we've seen quite clearly that the biggest outbreaks have been where there has been the biggest community transmission, uh, i.e. in the east of the country. So uh, as you say, this, this would be something proactive, uh, so that, uh, again... Uh, At the moment, we see easing of visitor restrictions. We see a lot more movement in in community generally. So if there was a case in some part of the country or a spike, if you like, or an increase in cases, then in our mind, and I'm sure in most of your listeners' mind, it would make uh, good sense that the local healthcare facilities and nursing homes would be informed of that so that they can take uh, proactive Mm. measures rather than, uh, unfortunately, reactive measures.
2: And it would also give confidence to areas that have little or no COVID-19.
3: Absolutely. Uh, and I mean, that's the challenge for us now. Thankfully, we're in a much, much better place. i uh, speaking to you, as you know, over many months now in relation to the, the pandemic generally. Uh, we're down to, you know, less than 30 clusters now in nursing homes when it was at one stage over 250. So we are in a much better place. And we, but we do need to remain vigilant. Uh, and that is the fear and worry um, among us all in society it is a heightened anxiety and a heightened fear I would suggest within nursing homes because what we do need to ensure is that those that have had it uh, and are now clear can maintain uh, but equally as you said those that uh, you know have been uh, managed to avoid it uh, can stay can stay that way so we, we, we you know we can't get complacent at all and um, uh, you know the, the impact of, of COVID across the entire society and particularly nursing homes has been particularly cruel as well absolutely
2: we Absolutely, is testing at nursing homes ongoing Tyke?
3: Yeah, I mean, look, there has been lots of improvements, thankfully, and uh, that's a measure of the work of everybody, ourselves, the HSE, the the Department Minister uh, et al. Uh, so, yeah, there is a four-week serial testing ongoing at the moment. That's coming to an end, actually, this week, uh, and we're waiting now for further information from, from the, the Health Protection Surveillance Centre as to what uh, the next phase of that would look like. The, the European Centre for Disease Control suggested weekly, uh, but thankfully the actual numbers are very, very low, um, I've seen and it was that. it was
2: staff. It was the staff were getting tested.
3: Exactly. Yes, it was a serial testing of healthcare workers. But that then would it could potentially, and in, in a small number of cases, where there has been. Uh, a number of staff tested positive. Uh, what would happen? In his public health would make a judgment as to whether the residents uh, should also be tested. But yes, I mean, over over eighty thousand staff have been tested, uh, and uh, you know the numbers of numbers tested positive have been uh, li- just little over a hundred. Yeah. Uh, so it, it's it's point zero point one, I think point one four percent. So but brilliant, brilliant that number.
2: but brilliant that it picked up those cases.
3: Oh, absolutely. And that's the, I mean, you know, you and I have spoken before. It's well versed now at this stage if we had a more sophisticated model of of testing and tracing. I mean, when we spoke at the at the outset of the pandemic, people were waiting, A, to get tested because it took a number of weeks, and B, even when they were tested, the results were taking, in some cases, longer than the incubation
4: period. Mm-hmm. Uh,
3: so yeah. this is a much, much improved system. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the HSE now are testing probably about 110 nursing homes a day over a five-day period, uh, so that all nursing homes are tested. But I suppose the the question that none of us know at this point in time, and I'm not a public health expert, but what they're saying to us is that they will be making a judgment in the next uh, week as to, you know, what the plans will be for ongoing testing uh, as as and when required. And that will be influenced as well, obviously, by the increase in the the infamous R number in the community at large. I mean, we've seen, again, workplaces yesterday in Dublin, uh, you know, two construction sites. So... We can't in any way be be complacent.
2: Mm, Absolutely. Were you disappointed, um, Tyg, with the HICWA report this week showing how many nursing homes were ill-equipped to deal with COVID-19? Yeah, I
3: mean, look, HICWA have an important role to play, but we've outlined from the outset that, you know, HICWA, uh, you know, had not... I mean, they talk about contingency planning. They didn't have any contingency plan themselves. And in fact, their first engagement with the sector was on the... You know, the, in terms of the assessment, was, was in the middle of April. So, look, it is what it is. It's a point in time. Um, uh, I think it's also important to say that the, 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 the highlight of the report, for me, was the voice of the residents, uh, and the residents were very complimentary of, uh, particularly the staff in nursing homes, in what has been a very, very difficult time. Uh, the, the highlight figures in terms of non-compliances was based on uh, a total of 44 nursing homes, you know, out of 550, uh, who had a COVID outbreak. And in fact, you know, any setting I would suggest to you that has been true, what we have been through, uh, you know, uh, the staff are exhausted. Uh, the staff have worked very hard. And I suppose the disappointment, to use your own phrase, is that it didn't reflect accurately. And I suppose media reporting more so than the HICK Report itself didn't reflect accurately in my mind the huge, huge efforts made by staff over the last while. Yeah, so and, big... and,
2: and it was great to see and hear from the residents, you know, just how deeply grateful they were to staff for the care that they were being, for the care that was being provided to them, particularly during the lockdown period, because the report also highlighted the deep sense of isolation and loneliness as a result of the, the visitor restrictions. And everybody knows why the visitor restrictions had to be put in place, but new guidelines on visits, on on visitation was published yesterday, Tyke.
3: That's right. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, that's a positive step as well. Uh, visitor restrictions were eased on the uh, 15th of June. Um, the new visitor restrictions uh, have further eased and they'll be uh, live, as it were, or operational or effective rather from the 29th of July. Uh, so what that's doing basically is it's extending uh, the period from a half an hour uh, to an hour at any one okay. time. And and I suppose the other big element in it is that uh, at the moment it's restricted to two nominated visitors. Now what the guidance is saying that uh, you could have more than two nominated, but only two at any one time. Um, so it is a further easing of restrictions. But again, you know, I would caution. To be honest, uh, the priority, I'm sure your listeners will agree, is the health safety and welfare of residents and staff. So we do need to move very, very gingerly and very, very carefully. But it is a positive step and a step in the the right direction.
2: And and particularly they talk about um, end-of-life care and and compassion uh, being used because it's been a very difficult time for everybody involved.
3: Yeah, I mean, you know, um, I was reading the report myself uh, when it came out on, on, on Tuesday and it talked about fear and loneliness and isolation. I think all of us, uh, went through those emotions.
5: Yeah,
3: you know, I remember driving to work. I'm sure as you did in the early part of March, and nobody on the streets. Uh, you know, you were going into work. wondering time, I was going to face a shit today. You know, staff at nursing homes were the very same. They were leaving their families at home, uh, driving into uh, to a facility. You know, putting on PPE, full face coverings. Um, so it was an unreal, real period. And I think we have to, yeah, I suppose, contextualize all of our conversations in, in in that context, if you like. That's not to say that. You know, things can't be done differently. And I think that's the challenge for us now, that, you know, if there is a potential second wave, uh, that we are, thankfully, better prepared. But by the same token, you know, we do need to be very, very vigilant. And, you know, in fairness, the community at large have been fantastic as well. Uh, I'm talking to members across the country, family, you know, friends and family arriving, you know, someone with cakes, with with cards, with, you know. So the the upside of it, I suppose, as you like, is that kind of metal spirit uh, and what we've been trying to do for years, and I've been speaking on your program before about the role that nursing homes have in the community. I think, unfortunately, historically, sometimes people would have seen the nursing home as that building over there behind the wall. Whereas now, what we're trying to do is 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 ingratiate the nursing home with the community more, and hopefully, when visitor restrictions even ease greater, we'll be back into that place again, whereby uh, you know people will be able to visit more freely and um, uh, support both the both the the residents primarily, but also the nursing home. in terms Yeah, of and the, and, terms I, and of I think the prime
2: role. the prime time investigates program last night. I know it was on St James's Hospital, but uh, anyone who has to has to nurse and look after somebody with their COVID nineteen, those people go to work every day and they're putting their lives at risk.
3: Yeah, look, it's been hugely hugely traumatic for everybody, and uh, you know it was good to see the program li- like the prime time investigates. And indeed, there was one previous on nursing homes, and yeah. you know they were they were very very sensitively done, uh, which was which was very gratifying. Um, and look, hopefully at some stage into the future we'll, ha- we'll all have an opportunity to acknowledge the the huge role of, of the staff within, Absolutely. within, within, the, Absolutely. Entire, within okay. the entire health service.
2: Listen, you stay safe, sir, we, and we'll speak again. Thank you for that and thanks Thank for joining again. us. Uh, good morning to you. That is Ty Daly, uh, Chief Executive of Nursing Homes Ireland. Or today on Scene 103. Call Patricia with your
0: comment. 1850 333 103.
2: Now with face coverings now mandatory on all public transport and last week the government's moved to make them compulsory in supermarkets, retail outlets, and shopping centres, we're getting contacted on the program by people suffering from asthma who say they find it very difficult to wear a face mask. So, with advice, I'm joined from the Asthma Society by one of their nurses, Ruth Morrow. Uh, good morning, to you, Ruth. Good morning. Uh, you're you're welcome. I take it that you're getting a lot of calls to the asthma helpline on this topic, are you? We
6: are indeed, and also to our beating breathlessness WhatsApp service, also as well. It is a major concern for people who have asthma. However, a lot of people, the majority of people actually can actually wear a face mask quite safely and it is very safe to do. There's no medical evidence out there to say that it's not safe to do so. There is a small percentage, however, that won't be able to wear them. And these are probably people that have more severe asthma and COPD.
2: So what do you suggest is the best type of mask?
6: Again, we don't really suggest anything because there's so many different ones out there and not everything will suit everybody so what we recommend is that you will actually try a different one and find the one that suits you best so it may be the disposable one or it could be the cotton one again and tends to maybe what you wash your mask in with all the cotton masks are totally washable you can put them into your washing machine and a good wash and again if you're using fabric conditioner and then you know that may actually exacerbate your asthma a little bit so maybe just don't use fabric conditioner and use a very kind of plain washing powder, you know, like something I don't know, any of the, kind of the ones that are maybe less scented yeah. to wash your mask in.
2: So it's it's a bit like trial and error as to a mask that might suit me might not suit you.
6: Exactly. Exactly. And there are ones out too that have a little valve on them as well. Some people find them very helpful. So again, just have a look around. There's plenty out there and. Um, You visit your local pharmacy and your supermarkets, they're they're all there. And, of course, there's the online ones as well that you can buy online. To get used to wearing a mask, I mean, there are a few tips we can give you to help you get used to wearing a mask. So when you're sitting at home, sitting in front of the television, when you're nice and relaxed, put your mask on for 15 or 20 minutes and see if you can tolerate it. If you can tolerate it, then you can get up and walk around your house. Again, if you can tolerate that and you're comfortable doing that, then you're fine to move on to the next step, which is then we would suggest just go outside maybe and walk around our garden, go out for a short walk and see if you can manage it that way. And then if you can manage it that way, you'll be able to manage it then for the, for the number of minutes that you're actually in the shop or on public transport.
2: Yeah, because I think a lot of people, Ruth, assumed uh, once you had an asthma diagnosis when the mandatory face masks came in, a lot of people assumed, oh, if you've asked me, you don't have to wear one. But that's not the case
6: no it's not the case and we would encourage actively encourage everybody to wear their masks just to protect themselves and to protect others but obviously there is going to be that small percentage that is not going to be able to wear them and we as a general public need to recognize that and not to kind of abuse these people on transport or whatever you know there could be a genuine reason why they can't wear it so be be
2: understanding of, be understanding yeah, of that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and w- and what about some listeners wondering if could there if those cohort of people that you say simply cannot and never will be able to wear a face covering Mm -hmm. can they get a letter from their GP showing that they don't have to wear a mask?
6: Yes of course Oh, yeah. there's no reason why if the GP is happy to give them that there's no reason why they can't and also you know if they carry their inhalers with them when they're actually out and about as well or maybe have their asthma action plan or COPD communication card with them that'll obviously be evidence that you actually have the condition.
2: And of course we know Ruth that people with asthma are more at risk if they contract COVID-19.
6: Yes exactly yes so I suppose they're not going to be I suppose more at risk of actually getting it than anybody else but when they do get it they may be worse you know, or more unwell with it. So it is really important that they actually continue to take your asthma medication as prescribed your preventer medication every single day and follow all the public health um, recommendations in terms of hand hygiene and cough etiquette etc.
2: And you do very much see the benefits of everybody wearing face masks in enclosed in, in spaces?
6: Without a doubt, yes. And particularly, you know, when, the, when you know, the social distancing can't be maintained, which is really important that we do maintain the two metres, but not obviously, that's not always practical in every single scenario. So definitely face masks are hugely beneficial there.
2: Okay. And if people want more advice, they can contact your, your helpline, your advice line.
6: Yes, they can contact us on our advice line, which is 1800 4454 64. And book an appointment to speak to an asthma nurse. Or you can WhatsApp in our BT question, which is 086-059-0132. Again, those numbers are all available on our website. And uh, also there's lots of information there up there on COVID on our website as well that you can access.
2: Okay. All right. Listen, we appreciate that, uh, Ruth. Thank you for that and thanks for joining us on the programme. Good morning to you. Bye bye. Uh, Ruth Moreau who is uh, an asthma nurse with the Asthma Society of Ireland. Once again their uh, free phone advice line is one 800 Mm 54.64. The RSA announced that driving tests resumed since Monday of this week on a gradual uh, basis but obviously new procedures have been put in place to stop the spread of COVID-19 and that has prompted a listener to contact us this morning to say they were on the RSA website and they were looking through the new rules and regulations with regard to taking a driving test and the listener a little bit unsure about what's going on and finding the whole thing a bit scary particularly when it said that both the tester and the client must wear a face covering. So we put a shout out for anyone who had gone through the process this week. Martin Hennessy is a driving instructor in Charleville and uh, he joins me. Good morning to you Martin.
4: Patricia, good morning. How are
2: you? I'm very well and you're welcome. Um, Did you have uh, learner drivers who went forward for tests this week?
4: I did Patricia, Okay. Um, The the, the test centres opened on Monday morning on the 20th of July uh, more or less everywhere around the country. There's a couple of test centres not opened but most of them opened up on a kind of a scale basis. So, uh, myself, I had somebody doing the test in their own car at, um, around 2 o'clock on Monday, and I had somebody else doing the test in my car on Tuesday. Okay. Um, so, it, you know, it's totally new to everyone stacking back. I was only stacking back myself for, for, for the first time since the 13th of March, so it's all a little bit, um, you know, it's all a bit new and and trying to think of everything that we need to do and, and that kind of thing. So, long story short, um, so now these people would have only got about a week's notice for their test. You'd normally get four weeks' notice, but because the RSA themselves probably didn't know when they were opening until, until fairly late, they couldn't give a month's notice. Yeah, I think it was okay. only
2: last week that they realised they would be allowed to start doing the car testing from Monday, so they didn't have much time to contact people.
4: Exactly. So then you can't really, so, you know, it all. that's kind of the way it started off. So basically then that also made the candidates not getting a month's notice. But anyway, so the people I had for the test contacted me and um, two of those people, I was happy that they would be okay because we had our homework done. Um, I did have a girl from Mitchellstown and she didn't get a month's notice and we weren't too happy about it. So I told her to contact the Road Safety Authority and say, you know, that she's entitled to get a 4 weeks' notice, which she is, Okay. And, uh, so you turned you turned
2: up at the they, they turned up at the test centre. What what's different about the test now?
4: Well, the first thing I'd like to really reassure people, Patricia, and uh, that, that's like I would just happen to be for some reason I must be telepathic because I just had to be <laughs> listening to the radio when you were talking about. it, I didn't hear the whole conversation, and uh, I was talking to you a couple of months ago around the eighteen to twenty to me, and a lot of things have changed since then. Yeah. So we're, we're kind of back up and running now. But um, I suppose um, like what I just want to, I just want to say to people like that. The format of the driving test hasn't really changed. So for anyone that's out there thinking about doing a driving test, for some reason, no matter where you go, everyone seems to think this is the most nervous exam they've ever done. For some reason, I've had people with all sorts of degrees and qualifications. When it comes to a driving test, everyone tends to get a bit nervous. Yeah. But to just reassure people, like, the structure of the driving test hasn't really changed. Like, But obviously, for the safety reasons we have, um, it is uh, you know it is mandatory now to for both myself giving lessons or for a tester or for someone on a test to wear a face mask it's a it's a kind of a minimum requirement I suppose you could say now at this stage. But what you have to remember is it's as uncomfortable for the tester as it is for for me or for the person. the person taking
2: the test. the test. So that's um, that, that's the first thing you need to do before the test. You need to get used to driving while wearing a face covering.
4: Yeah, yeah. It's it's like it's like anything. Um you know, you just kind of um you just get used to it. You're only going to be wearing it for maybe 40, 45 minutes on your test, whereas we'll say Monday and Tuesday it'll be quite good weather. So if, if I was in the car, eight or nine hours a day, or a tester was in the car, they're wearing it for six, seven, eight hours. So they're mm-hmm. not as, they're as uncomfortable as the person doing the test. So what I would say to people is you know, if the nerves are the same and and all that kind of stuff. Uh, the only thing I would say is what I find is a little bit difficult with a face mask is I would be very much, when I'm giving lessons to someone, I would be very much reading the expression of the person because I want to make sure that that person is comfortable with what we're doing. I can read their face and see how they feel. That's so gone. That's kind of gone, mm. really. But so you kind of have to make sure that people are okay and ask the question. But um, back to the test. So that's a minimum requirement anyway. So for your test, um, you'll be arrive at the test center. Uh, the test center is open, but you're not really supposed to go in, so you wait outside um in the car or somewhere in the car park and the tester will ring you and they'll maybe go through the questions on the phone okay. and then they might ring you back and say we're going to call you in, now in a few minutes and they might do the road signs at the test centre one of the people I had on Tuesday they must have had a wrong number so they're ringing the person but they must have had the wrong number so they'd actually come out and tell them to come in um so, um
2: yeah, because they say, whether permitting, as much activity as possible between driver, tester, and customer will take place outdoors. Did you see anything take place outdoors?
4: Well, the only, the only like they can ask you the questions outside. They yeah, can do ones at the bonnet outside, but like if there is only questions signed and on the bonnet anywhere, The rest is actually the driving test. Yeah, yeah, that's the true. Car, yeah, know? yeah. So, like, literally five minutes of your test would be would be outside doing the questions and under the bonnet and doing a few signs. That's normally quite a quick process anyway.
2: Yeah.
4: Uh, and just to check the license that it's in order. So, um, and then the tester then will, will sanitize the, their side of the car that they're getting into. So... <clears throat> um,
2: and the, tes- the m- tester himself or herself does that?
4: Yeah, they do okay. that themselves. So, basically what they want is they want to have the windows open both sides. They don't want any air con on in the car. Um, uh, they're sanitized down the car themselves, that kind of thing. Um, since I started back on Monday, uh, it's hard to think the whole thing through. You think you know what you're doing, then you realize, oh, I can't really do that anymore. So, to give an example, if I were doing a lesson in someone else's car, I would actually ask them to open my side of the door. So, I actually don't have to touch their car. I don't have to go touching their door handle. So, the less I can do touching things or that, or they touch my car, the better. Okay. Um, if somebody gets into my car then and they're doing a driving lesson, I'll actually start the car for them so their hands are not all over the keys of the car and the next person jumping in, their hands are all over the keys of the car again. So the more you can minimize it, you know, that's, that's just, the more we can do those kind of things, the better. Um, yeah,
2: everything has been done to to prevent a spread of of uh, COVID nineteen, and the masks. Do you bring your own mask with you? Or are you are you supplied with a mask? Says the listener.
4: They, they will supply you with a mask on the day. they okay. They want to make sure that you. So if you don't have one, they will. They will. But well, if will you wanted you
2: to bring your own, you probably could. You know, if you, you, so you, use, if you yeah, want yeah. To bring your own because because some one. people are using their own homemade ones or whatever, and, or a mask. Lots of people go through various masks until they find one that they're comfortable with. So if you want to bring your own, I'm sure. That's, go, that's going to be okay uh, as well but yeah. the, the nerves are still going to be the same we're never going to take away from that but you reckon the rest of the test it runs pretty much as normal
4: it, it runs pretty much as normal and look as I say even my everyone gets a bit nervous on the day and they forget something I actually had someone on the test and choose in my car and I had thought i why. have everything sorted out here and lo and behold um, during the lockdown I had a lot of sign work done in my car so the actual car stands out you can't miss it no it's definitely a school of morning car and I turned up on the test and I had my my, my chap ready for his test. And uh God I didn't realise I actually forgot to put the L plates up in the car. <laughs> I had so many other L's on the car.
2: Yeah. I had the
4: car washed that yeah. he's been on a lesson for a few months and my back window is tinted, so you have to put a um an L plate that sticks on the back uh, but when you try to take it off it won't come off. So anyway, I they had to ring me, so I rushed back to the test centre, I had a couple of L-plates in the glove box and we put them on the car and off he went for his test. Gosh. So it's amazing how you're trying to think of everything.
2: I know, up. I know. And they won't do the test unless those L-plates are up. And the question I have to ask, how did the two learner drivers get on?
4: Well, the girl, the girl I had on Monday passed in her own car. Um, she was a local girl from Charval and the chap I had from Kilfin and County Limerick he passed on Tuesday. Hey. But we, on. Ha- I, you know, we, we, we had our homework done. We, we knew we only had a week's notice. I obviously took them on the day of the test and um, we had a good run around and uh, we made sure well done. You know, we worked well we a couple of test sheets. Well done.
2: Well done. congratulations to, uh, to them both. And Martin, thank you for that and thank you for clarifying uh, those issues. I think you put a lot of people's mind at ease and that's what it's all about.
4: Yeah. And if, like, I didn't hear the start of the conversation, but if that, whoever that person you said was, was feeling uncomfortable. Like, if that person wants to make contact with me, they just want to be reinsurance, there's no problem with are very good. It, and we have your
2: number. We can pass it on. Yeah,
4: it's all about just making people... Like, it, it is the same as what they've been doing. It's just that they're wearing a mask. And believe it or not, the test actually flies. You're in the car all of a sudden you're up the road down the road and you, you know it, you're
2: not yeah. back into the centre yeah. you're, right. you're
4: so right that's why you've got to stay calm and, and, and hold it together and not be worrying about the small things and concentrate on what you're
2: doing you know ok listen you look after yourself and thank you for that ok thanks Take for care. joining us uh, bye 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 that is uh, Martin Hennessy, joining us uh, driving instructor in uh, Charleville and congratulations to his, his two learner drivers who passed this week 1850 333103 some reaction to our interview with the Asthma Society about the wearing of masks and having asthma does not mean that you are exempt from wearing masks be they're mandatory on public transport they're also going. they're also we're all told we need to wear them in shopping centres and I actually heard yesterday there's talks about making them mandatory in taxis as well they haven't at the moment but there certainly is talks about it and now just listening and talking to Martin if you're going for your driving test and you're taking a driving lesson you must wear a mask as well Mary says Patricia on face masks and people who are asthma My daughter has asthma and she finds wearing a mask may actually benefit her condition. She's found that since she's been wearing one, pollen doesn't affect her as much in her nose and mouth because her nose and mouth are covered. Also, she says, during the winter, she feels it will benefit her as the mask will shield against the sharp cold air, which can cause a wheeze, says Mary. Well done. I love your daughter and I love her positivity. So there's ways around it. And as Ruth, Ruth Morrow, the nurse from the Asthma Society, for those people who are struggling with it, you just need to practice getting used to wearing one. you just you got to find the mask that works for you and then just keep practising with it and you will eventually get used to it and it isn't very long periods that you have to have it on if you're in a shop or on public uh, transport. And a listener says, Patricia, we're constantly waiting for clarification re- re- regarding the rules and regulations suggested like this one with the face mask. Theoretically, the world is at war with this virus and the government needs to adapt special legislation pertaining the COVID rules and regulations enabling them to enforce all the actions immediately to stop all this confusion. It's time for them to step up, take control of the situation so everybody knows exactly where they stand here because it's whenever they decide to bring in something and make it mandatory that it needs new legislation and that needs to be discussed in the Dáil and needs to be passed by the Dáil and there's always a wait period leading into it. So yeah, I can see and know the point you're making. Thank you for that. And a lovely text in from Nicola says hi Patricia I am asthmatic well controlled uh, with a preventative inhaler. Uh, I also have a, a problem with an, an aortic heart valve I suffer from sleep apnea CKD, I'm not sure what that is, and I'm also obese. So at risk on many counts, says Arnicola. Since March I've cocooned, with the exception of two weekly shopping trips. I made masks and I tried many shapes, styles and materials of commercially available, available ones. I wore them because I had to. I found those trips so stressful and I felt like I'd aged ten years every time I went out. Last week, I spotted an Adidas face mask, non-medical with two layered and with a pouch for a filter. Now I'm I'm not one to advertise for a particular brand but for the first time since lockdown I enjoyed my shopping experience so much t- so I had time to laugh and flirt with a lovely young man in the queue I'm 60 by the way and I've been happily married for 41 years this week. The mask fits snugly, it's light and it's easy to wear. I would encourage everyone to try lots of different masks. Don't give up. Find one that fits well and give it and yourself uh, a chance. Thank you you for for uh, your um, uh, programme. Um, and thank you, kind words about the programme. Thank you for that. And that's uh, from Nicola in uh, Fidan. Well done. And that's that's what it is. And I think that's what Ruth Morrow from the Asthmatic Society was trying to get across as well. The first mask you put on may make you feel a bit panicky and may make you feel, oh, I can't breathe. I have so many different masks at home. Some of them I find Absolutely fantastic. Others, when I went to try and wear them, I was in the supermarket a few uh, weeks ago and I was wearing one that felt very light. And I was saying, oh, that will be great because I was doing the big shop, so I knew it was going to be in the supermarket for quite some time. Well, honest to God, I thought I would never get out of the supermarket with the heat from this particular mask. And it was made like a kind of like a very light jersey material, you know, like a kind of a a t-shirt material. That's what it felt like. So I thought, oh, that's nice. I'll be able to breathe through it and all of that. But it just made me feel very uncomfortable. It was really, really warm. And then we had the listener, Catherine, who, uh, Claire, sorry, Claire, Claire Sweeney, the girl who's making from Rock Forest and Mallow, who is making homemade uh, masks and she's selling them for two euro each and she's giving all of the Profits to a friend of hers who runs the cat sanctuary, which I thought was being a cat lover, I thought it was a lovely idea, but she made these lovely, bright, colorful masts out of cotton material Actually, she was talking to to Bernie, and she was saying that she uses material you know like old duvet covers for for example, that kind of cotton material and she sent some, in, some into us here at the radio station and uh, I wore one of those the other day and I found that absolutely fantastic. It was nice and light. I was able to breathe through it. I thought that was a really, a really good one. Haven't used any of the disposable ones yet. I have a few of those at home, but they seem very light as well. And I'm sort of looking at those thinking if I've, if I have to. Leave a mask on, you know, for a longer period of time. If I need to go on public transport or on a train or whatever, so I might use the disposable ones, uh, for that. But certainly it is a bit of trial and error, but certainly listening to Nicola, I am now going to take a look out for that Adidas uh, face mask. If Nicola, if you could let us know, where did you actually purchase that Adidas face mask. Uh, it is non-medical with two layers on it and a pouch for a filter. That certainly sounds like a nice light one and I think that's what you need because it's if you go into an area, sometimes you go into the supermarket and it can be quite warm and we're all hoping for wonderful weather and great weather as we rock through this uh, summer on a very warm day. It's bad enough that you're feeling hot and a bit sticky inside in the supermarket without having a face mask on so ideally you need something light that you feel you're able to breathe through so Thank you for that, uh, Nicola. And thank you for sharing that piece of advice. An Adidas face mask, 1850 333 103. Bernie and Sadie, taking your course. Text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. C103 Jobs. Everfresh Solutions. They're looking to recruit a general operative slash painter or cleaner. It's to join their company, uh, preferably with painting skills. It's in the Mallow Bottomant area. Cabinet maker slash kitchen fitter that's wanted for work in uh, Bandon. While full-time evening shift workers are required for a commercial linen company that's based in the Bantry area. And an after-school practitioner and relief staff wanted for work in Giblin outside of Mitchellstown. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is c
1: one You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed.
2: Court today on C one oh three.
0: Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 103,
2: 103. Now the Autism Assisted Dogs Ireland, which is based in Mallow, will once again benefit from the annual fundraising campaign by Woody's DIY stores, which last year raised almost two hundred and fifty thousand euro that was divided.
1: between four national charities,
2: so to talk about the work of the AADI and how an assisted dog can change your family's life. I'm joined by John Breen, whose daughter Charlotte received her dog last year. Good morning to you, John. Good morning, Patricia, how are you? I'm very well, and you're welcome to the program. I'm, I'm, and I'm told Coda, the dog, is sitting right beside you.
5: She's just joined us, yet. I think she wants to be interviewed as well. (laughs)
2: Fantastic. (laughs) Now, I suppose firstly, talk to me a little bit about Charlotte and why you felt an assisted dog could help her.
5: Well, Charlotte's 13 years of age now and uh, back when she was about three, she was diagnosed with autism uh, amongst one or two other little bits going on there. And uh, she was basically um, a runner. When when you were out and about, she's... um, make a break for the border, you know. And, uh, and
2: you, no fear. No,
5: you'd be no hard-pressed to, hard to catch her. No fear, no sense of danger, no sense of anything at all, really, except for, you know, she wants to go and enjoy herself. She was she really good at doing that. Um, so um, I, I applied for um, uh, an assistance dog to Autism Assistance Dogs Ireland, fully knowing that it would take um, a while for us to get one. Principally to help us with that, uh, that bolting kind of, uh, difficulty that we had when we are out and about. But also to help us at home with some sensory stuff, uh, uh you know, where, 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 Charlotte might have had a difficult day out and, and she might come home and have a, something like a meltdown. It looks a little bit like, uh, being a ball girl, but she's not. She's just
2: yeah. It looks her senses little, are all over the place. yeah. It, it looks, looks a little bit like a, temp, a temper tantrum, but yeah, it's, it's, but far, it, from it. it's it, far from it.
5: It's far from it. No, it's just that her, the, the senses can't cope with what she's been through throughout the day, and that, uh she just has a, a little bit a little moment, yeah, and it can yeah. go on for a long time. Uh, but
2: we'll talk about that in a minute. Okay, um, but uh, but the the, the the running is the big fear uh, factor, John, for for families with uh, a child with with autism. I mean, it's it's hard for others to realise. I mean, there's the sense firstly that she could run and get lost. Uh, obviously, there's the big panic.
5: She has but, done. Oh, oh my god! Oh my god!
2: And the, three times. And then the sheer panic of trying to yeah, find her. But yeah. then you could be walking um, on a near a busy junction, a busy road, and a child like Charlotte child has no sense that running out onto a busy road can get her knocked down and killed.
5: Yeah, that's, that's about the size of it. Or just Even walking across the car park in a shopping centre, you know.
2: Okay, then, so you... She wouldn't
5: be aware of what's going on around her. You so, a,
2: you applied so, for the dog. How long yeah. did you have to wait?
5: Oh, well, it's different now. Um, to be fair, the, the, we waited about six years. But... Uh, the things have improved a little bit now, and I think the waiting is still. The list is about two years now.
2: Okay, it's still it's a long time.
5: But in any event, looking backwards, if we had got the dog earlier, we wouldn't have had this the same benefit as we're getting from it now. So it kind of it kind of worked out for us. Yeah,
7: yeah. But yeah. just
5: just so happened that way. Now Charlotte is Charlotte, and other people are other people, and every individual has their own issues going on. A bit like you and me I suppose.
2: Well. Yeah, absolutely. And, so what and, what difference has Coda made to Charlotte and, and indeed to the whole family? But, st- but start with Charlotte. What difference has the dog made?
5: Well, first of all, uh, and l- least importantly, I suppose, uh, she's a friend. So Charlotte has now something that she can hang around with, can play with, all that sort of stuff. So that's a nice bonus as well. But when we're out and about, Charlotte is attached to the dog. And um doesn't and therefore doesn't bolt, can't bolt, yeah
2: yeah, and that's that's no, so which that is a,
5: which, which is a, a huge burden of me or whoever else might be with her at the time, mm. because you can you can relax a little bit when when you're out and about and there's no dog in between you and there's no attachment, you cannot take your eye off her for a second because you're in trouble.
2: And if she did try to run, what happens?
5: Well, she 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 doesn't do that anymore.
2: Oh, that's actually stopped. It's 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 it's, it's, it's
5: now again. Charlotte is Charlotte, okay, but, but Charlotte's focus now is on her dog. Yeah. Remember, I was talking to you about the friend a, bit a minute ago. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, Charlotte now is is feeling very um, in charge of her dog.
2: So she's not going and to she, run away she, from she, the dog.
5: Ironically, she wants to make the dog safe.
2: Oh, isn't that fantastic? Isn't <laughs> so, that fantastic? So, she,
5: so, so, the, so the dog is an attraction for her or a distraction for her, so she doesn't want to bolt anymore.
2: And that means when you go out as a family, everyone is more relaxed.
5: Yeah, and we're walking down the street laughing and joking and, and everything is really, really nice now
2: and can Coda go everywhere and does she go everywhere with you she does yeah Yeah.
5: she goes everywhere we go to the the cinema now we couldn't go to the cinema before we go to restaurants couldn't Charlotte wouldn't sit down in a restaurant we can go to the restaurants now go to the cinema as well Uh, forget about Covid-19 for a while but you know when when they're all open and everything's open what have you we go to shopping centres we go into shops we go into shopping malls. we go for lovely walks on the street from A to B. We go to the mountains. We go to the sea. All these things weren't possible before or were very, very difficult. But and now they're now they're a pleasure.
2: And the meltdowns that you, you've spoken about, have you seen a decrease in them?
5: Yes, in number and in length of time. See, when Coda sees this thing coming on, she goes over to her and she kind of nuzzles up to her, you know? Yeah. And then Charlotte sort of, nuzzles a, there's a hug back and all that sort of stuff. And because the dog is so calm and they are ridiculously calm, because the dog is so calm, the calmness transfers to the child and the meltdown evaporates almost immediately. So we're now talking about meltdowns of maybe 10 or 15 minutes. Whereas before the dog arrived, they might have been two or three hours.
2: Incredible. And
5: it's, it's really difficult to watch our child. Sitting in a corner, shaking, crying, shouting, pumping, pulling—all that sort of stuff—for um, t- for two or three hours, you know.
2: And nothing you could do to stop it.
5: Zero. And yeah. Then, hey, along comes colder, and she has it all sorted in ten or fifteen minutes.
2: <laughs> it's brilliant. It's br- they're just um, no, And it of course, it, Let's let's give credit to the to the autism assistant dogs of Ireland. The training. <laughs> That goes into these dogs.
5: They're Amazing people, and there's there's, there's two elements to it. There's the professional trainers. I, I've met two of them, Aideen and Nola, and um, and then there's there's a, a, a whole army of people down in Cork and, and Limerick um, who foster these puppies and and train them with all the basic stuff, all the, the obedience, to things you know, toilet and outside, all that sort of stuff. And then the professional trainers come in and they take them in tranches for a few weeks and they train up to the high level stuff where Coda knows our are left and our right.
2: <laughs> Unreal.
5: So I right. I know adults who don't know their left. Yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'd put my hand up and say I have a huge difficulty with left. If you said go left, I'd, I guarantee you I'd, yeah, I'd but, go right.
5: But when, we, when we're walking to, towards um, a pedestrian crossing, for example,
2: yeah.
5: I'd say to Coda find the kerb. And she'll find the car and she'll stop. Wow. And, I, and I'll ask her to sit down, and she'll sit down. And when the, the red man goes green, I'll ask Coda to walk on, and she'll walk on. Right. Now, Charlotte has been listening to me and Coda doing this for the last, well, a little over a year now. And Charlotte's beginning to participate in all this sort of stuff. Wow,
2: because it's, right. her, it's her dog.
5: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But it's it's also, she's learning that when we go to the pedestrian crossing. We find Ma- the curb,
2: yeah, and we she's stop. She's
5: learning that we stop. Yeah, she's learning yeah. that we wait for the red man to go green. It's brilliant. And she's learning, and and, she, and, and she's in charge of the dog as far as she's concerned.
2: There's so that, so that many benefits. Me. And how oh, yeah. does she help with grooming and that? Have you? Are you? Um,
5: we we Charlotte sure feeds the dog every day, with help from me because she wouldn't be able to really measure the correct f- food.
2: Yeah, know, the, yeah, yeah.
5: yeah. But, but we we do it together. And then she gets her, the, the dog to sit and wait, and she puts the food in the bowl, and she gets, takes great delight and has the dog to wait for 10 seconds before he, he dives in and has his food, you know.
2: And those dogs are so trained, they won't...
5: It's lovely to watch.
2: They don't. They don't eat until they're told. No, I they always don't. think that's one of the most amazing <laughs> skills. It's, it's um,
5: one of the coldest tricks is, is you can put a treat on each of her two front paws when she's lying down, yeah. and, and if you tell her to wait, she won't touch the one until you tell her to eat,
2: incredible, so and it's, it's mad.
5: And, and the kids love seeing that. Now she doesn't do it very often, but when the, when she does it in front of a few kids, they're amazed.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's it's yeah. it's brilliant. And of course, school. Charlotte would be. Is she missing school?
5: Actually, that's where she is right now. Um, oh, old
2: July education.
5: Yeah, that's yeah. it. And, and, and thankfully, because we we it's been a real struggle for us since March. But um, thankfully, the school opened up for four weeks in July, and she's doing her fourth week now. And she's she ran in the door. Great. Loves it. But the dog is here because there's one or two. You see, these dogs aren't aren't um, suitable for everybody. So there's one or two kids in her school who would be absolutely terrified of a dog. So, so the dog doesn't go to school. There.
2: Okay, okay. But
5: the dog goes to the school gate, and sees her in the gate. The dog is waiting there for her when she comes back to, you know. to
2: come home. And has she has she really missed school, John, since March? Ah, yeah, ah, yeah. yeah. And
5: I, I think every all of the kids on the autism spectrum and all they've all missed it, and and it's it's routine is really really important to them, you know. Yeah, and it's really important to Charlotte. But she was delighted the last couple of weeks with this um, initiative by Woody's Woody's Heroes and uh, she had a
2: She did a photo shoot
5: She had a cameraman <laughs> out and it was amazing and, uh, and she just loves the camera
2: Well she's a gorgeous looking girl and by yeah. God Coda a, is a beautiful looking dog
5: and, Yeah well and they're and they're both kind and gentle with each other and you can see, you can actually see it in the photograph. Yeah,
2: yeah, it's yeah, yeah.
5: It's, it's, it's quite so, it's quite so, special. So that was fantastic. Quite a part of, um, The 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 contribution in terms of money that the Woody's Heroes campaign brings in for people. Um, that piece of conference boosting just for Charlotte and the photo shoot and what have you was all it was amazing all by itself, you know.
2: Yeah, so yeah, it's brilliant. It, it, win, it win. is brilliant. And we want more families to benefit. John, by the way. <coughs> Yeah, well, Your uh, family's benefited and that's why people can support. Woodies are just to support the work of the autism assistant dogs.
5: Yeah, and they're really good out there and I think there's about 30 pups in training. There the is. Or something there like is. That.
2: I was looking on their Facebook page. They, yeah, they're gorgeous. Uh,
5: I, I've seen photographs of them all doing their best to, to, to graduate to coldest level and, and they cost quite a lot. I don't know what the number is but they cost north of 20,000 euros yeah. ahead to put a pup in, into a family. Uh, as highly trained as these dogs are, now they're not quite up to the same standard as a, a, a guide dog for the blind.
2: They're not far off. They're not
5: far off. You know, not
2: far off. Maria says hi, Patricia. What a lovely story about Char- Charlotte and her dog. Just wondering what breed of dog it is. I adore dogs. They're, uh, they're a a golden, golden retriever. retriever. Are they all golden retrievers? That they? No, use? The, no. The,
5: the, the, they're a mix of lab and golden retriever. All oh, right, okay. And crosses okay. between the two. Okay. So there'll be some labs, uh, there'll be some golden retrievers and there'll be some crossbreeds up between labs and golden retrievers. Okay. But they're, they're, they're perfect for the, for the gig, you know.
2: All right, listen, well, continued good luck to Charlotte and Kolda and to Woody's with their annual Heroes campaign for this year, John. Uh, and it's been a real pleasure talking to you. Thank you for that.
5: Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you for coming. Thank you.
2: Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That is uh, John Breen, dad of uh, Charlotte and it is the Woody's sixth annual Heroes campaign. It runs from, it's underway actually since the 19th of July but it runs through until the 16th of August and Woody's colleagues and their customers nationwide are asked to put their best foot forward for four worthy causes. The one we've just been speaking about Autism Assistant Dogs Ireland but also the ISPCC Childline uh, which we featured on the programme this week as well. Down Syndrome Ireland and Cystic Fibrosis Ireland. People are invited to get involved in an attempt to walk to the moon. They want to cover a a distance of three 186,400 kilometres by contributing your steps in store or online. Now, Woody's Heroes have raised 1.5 million over the last five years, and their target this year is a quarter of a million. People can make donations at their local Woody's store or by heading to their iDonate, which is idonate.ie forward slash Woody's 2020.
0: Cork today on scene 103. Call Patricia with your comment
2: 1850 333 103. And we're going to for more Garda Station for this week. So, Garda Fiber. I'm joined by Sergeant John Kelly. Good morning to you, John. Good morning, Patricia. And Thanks you, very much for you, me. You are, You're very welcome. You're looking for help with two burglaries.
7: Yeah, two burglaries to start with. Um, I suppose the first one uh, would have been 16th of July. That's the, on Thursday, one week ago. Occurred between 7am that morning and 7.30pm. Uh, it was at Kilcolman, Glantan. That and the other burglary that I want to give you today, um, there must have been... You know, at least two people involved. Um, because in the first one there in uh, in Glanton, uh, there was a cash, um, there was a lawnmower, and a stove, which was taken from a locked shed, which would have been fairly heavy. So it would have taken at least probably two people to lift it
2: and transport, and, and transport,
7: and transport, and transport. You know, transport for for something like that. I mean, you're talking. Probably not a car, maybe a small van or something, you know. So I'd appeal to anyone who was in the area of Kilcolman, Glantan, that's last Thursday, uh, and saw anything suspicious between 7 a.m., 7.30 p.m., you know, to give the Gardaí at Mallow a call at 22 Um If you were passing that way, and you just saw something that, you know, you thought looked out of place. Um, it may be even that uh, people who were in the area doing t- that particular break-in that they could have even called the houses in the locality, you know, canvassing for walk or anything, you know, mm. um, because we find that, that they don't just usually call to one place. They usually have a couple of other places sussed out, and maybe somebody has seen them there, so they go on to somewhere else. Okay. Um, the second incident there we have is also Wednesday, Thursday of last week, and that was between 10.30 a.m. in the morning and 7.30 p.m., and that was at Monlan, Kildainan. Now, that was a break into a, uh, a structure uh, at a premises, and there was a quad and a motorbike stolen there and some tools. So, again, substantial items. Expensive items. And very expensive items. Yeah, yeah.
2: yeah. yeah.
7: Uh, the quad in particular is something that probably would, uh, you, you know, need a, a, maybe a large van or something to be uh, pushed into the back of it, or maybe even um, a flatbed trailer. You know, so somebody uh, may have seen uh, something in that area. Moon Lahan, again, and that was...
2: Wednesday uh, or Thursday of last week?
7: Yeah, 10.30pm on the night of the 15th when it was last day, or that was the Wednesday night. And sometimes uh, sometime
2: Thursday, PM so it could have been overnight or it could have been during the day. Absolutely, okay.
7: yeah, yeah. Um, uh, probably during the day, right? Yeah. I might be wrong, um, but something like that looks... You, you know, they try, maybe try to blend in by doing it during the day. Um, the other item there I have is a Ken test from cars. We're beginning to see them again. We saw one down in Middleton. We saw two there uh, last Thursday, um, last Thursday night there in Art Even in Vermont. Now, the common denominator with the, 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 the job in Middleton and the two in Art Even is the cars were left unlocked. Now, in the one below in, in uh, Middleton, Uh, Somebody shouted at the household and noticed it, you you know, and they left straight away. But they literally were going around trying cars. And they find it a lot easier by literally finding some car that's open and just rushing through it and and taking it. Yeah,
2: and we've seen from people CCTV, you can see them going from house to house when when these guys decide to do this. Correct. And and they're looking for the unopened cars. We're back again to lock your cars.
7: Uh, Yes, yeah. And we just uh, say to people, look... um, just, you know, most, most, uh, most drive-ins, you know, they're open drive-ins, you know, they're semi-private space, which you can just walk in and try yeah. to try the car, you know, and they're not breaking into the car, they're just pulling the door open, you know.
2: And, and leave, leave nothing of value in your car, even if it's in the dr- driveway of your house and you think, oh, I'm home, it's safe. You, just, yeah. you, you can never guarantee lock that somebody's going to exactly. come.
7: Exactly, lock it, yeah okay um the the, the three other uh, just a couple of other items items i want to mention gaudiette Mallow are getting a lot of calls uh from people who are taking calls purportedly from the revenue commissioners and um, of course they always do the give the thing that you due a refund and uh, looking for bank details. Now thankfully most people are wising up to it at this stage the calls, uh, the one commonality with all the calls, they seem to be coming from 051 numbers um, and in one case it t- was an Australian with it uh, was an Australian male that uh, was was on the other line you know so we just want to publicise that again
2: uh, and look because it's 051 it looks like John is coming from Waterford but it's not
7: no, 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 no. It's, it's, it's what they call call spoofing. You know, they yeah. can basically make a number look like a, a local Irish number. It could be coming from anywhere in the world. Okay. Um, like, I mean, fraudsters are using every, every antic now, you know. Um, I suppose, can we just, just to come back to physical crime, therefore, an instant, as distinct from uh, internet crime. Well, another thing that we see just occurring at the moment, and it seems to be a gang that operate almost nationwide. There, it's what we call bank jugging. It's basically following somebody from the bank. Um, you know, they seem to send in maybe a couple of younger people into the bank, uh, pick up a couple of leaflets. If they're challenged by bank staff, they may may say, "Look, we, we just want coin bags. We have a lot of coins at home. We just want coin bags." But essentially, what they're doing is they're looking to see anybody taking out large amounts of money um, they they literally mount a surveillance operation on them then, put them to a car uh, that car is then followed maybe to a workplace or maybe to somewhere else where they're going shopping or indeed to a house now uh, there was an incident in Tume on the 17th of July involving a Green Ford Focus, that's zero two uh C Reg Focus a Green Ford Focus, that was Tume 17th of July now that car um Done an attempted theft on the fifteenth of July uh, in the in the Mount Oval area of Cork City. Later on that day, it was in, involved in a drive-off at Applegreen Leash, You know, now we believe members of this gang uh, were were actually caught uh, uh, there a couple of years ago in in in, in the Formoy area, uh, and as a result of it, something that had gone out on the C 103 you know, crime file. Yeah. You know? So So people need to be
2: very careful when they're taking money out for, you know, and of course the the best thing is to try not to deal in cash to pay for whatever you need electronically. And, but there will be a proportion of people who still like to deal with cash and they're taking out a large sum of money because they need to pay somebody for a job. Maybe that's been done in the house or something that they're purchasing. And they, they really are vulnerable at that period of time for when they leave the bank until they hand the cash over.
7: Yeah, and even though we see cash is very much on a decrease within uh, use of it within society, but there are still uh, people, you know, withdrawing large amounts, you know. So be very, very cautious. Keep the weather eye open, you know, and ensure that your last destination is the bank. You know, and that you don't drive in somewhere else and put it into white envelope into. Yeah. Uh, uh, your... You know, and get rid of it as quickly plant. as you
2: can. Wherever you're taking problem. that money out for, uh, pa- pass it on. And an issue Correct. that we've dealt with many times on th- on this program, and, and lately in particular, dogs being stolen. John. To
7: dogs, yes. Uh, if you. If callers can have a quick look at the Garda Facebook page, they'll see there was a couple of dogs, uh, Cocker Spaniels, uh, recovered there in Mallow. Uh, now, one of them was microchipped, so has been returned to the owner. The other dog, unfortunately, wasn't microchipped, but is in good hands. There's uh, one of our colleagues in Mallow looking after it at the moment. Um, but there's every effort being made to reunite it with the owner. So, uh, you know, we'd say to people, just have a look at the Garda Facebook page, you know, and uh, we're trying to get this dog back to its owner. But there was a substantial increase in dog theft around the country uh driven we understand by the the desire for pits uh during lockdown and criminals will see opportunity wherever they can you know make an easy book you know so look for people just to be aware uh you, you know we had a case there in Yalda recently where there was a couple of uh uh fellas invited in uh, by a person to do work in a house uh, they were calling door to door and they went off with, uh, with the dog as ah. well the dog has been and the dog was the dog know, was recovered as
2: somebody you know. said yesterday when we were talking about it here in the programme yesterday a dog is part is a family member in, in many Absolutely. cases a much loved pet they're part of the family alright John listen thank you for that stay safe thank and we'll talk again soon take care that, that is uh, Sergeant John Kelly basically from Moigar the Station and uh, some of your thoughts and comments coming in uh, a lot of people are uh, commenting on the interview that we did with John Breen about his daughter Charlotte and her autism assisted dog uh, Koda saying, you know, what a, a lovely good news story uh, it was and what a difference that dog has made uh, to little Charlotte's life and indeed uh, to the whole family's life. But that's prompted listeners to say, do parents of children with autism get funding from the government like they do in Australia? Mm, not that I've heard of. The, the domiciliary carers allowance is there where they get a pay payment of a couple of hundred euro a month. That would be for children, for parents of children with autism and with other disabilities. But I've never heard of a direct payment to a family with a child with uh, autism, like what they are doing in uh, Australia. And the masks that Nicola wasn't it, Nicola? Remember Nicola spoke to us or sent us in a text uh, to say she's found, she's gone through loads of different masks to try and find one that she feels comfortable in. She's been wearing masks out every time she goes out because she's been cocooning, she just goes out shopping. That's all she does uh, because she's in at-risk groups from a medical point of view and any of the masks that she'd been wearing previously She found it rather difficult uh, and actually said some of the times she felt she'd aged 10 years by the time she got home from her trip to the shops. And then she discovered this. It's an it's a mask made by Adidas that fits snugly. It's light and easy to wear. And she said she'd want to be advertising a particular brand, but she said for the first time since lockdown, should I now enjoy my shopping experience? Of course, the minute we mentioned it, people are saying, where can you get those masks from? Well, Nicola was back on uh, to say, and I'm assuming she purchased them online at adidas.ie is where you can get them uh, from. She said they might also be available in sports shops because it is, Adidas being a sports brand, but they are available online at adidas.ie. They're a blue mask. It's got the Adidas logo on the side of it. I give it out as a suggestion. Uh, It might work uh, because it seems to have worked particularly well for Nicola. uh, Particularly for those people who are saying they're trying all different masks and they're just having no luck at all with them. Asthma Society's advice is keep trying until you find a mask that works for you. And Paul Drake in Glamworth says, Patricia, on the topic of masks, I don't have a problem wearing them, but I have noticed that for those with hearing aids, on their ears the mask can and does knock the hearing aid off it might hit the on off button or it can even adjust the volume when people are putting the mask on over their ears so that can be a problem for people with hard of hearing who wear hearing aids and I know for anyone who is hard of hearing the fact that we're all speaking behind a mask it's a muffled sound I don't know how many times I've been in shops where somebody in front of me has had to say sorry can you say that again sorry I didn't hear you uh, it can be really really frustrating for people and of course for people who lip read it's been an absolute complete uh, nightmare but there's something I hadn't thought about people with hearing aids putting it on and off might knock the hearing aid off or turn the volume off perhaps again it's trial and error isn't it with a lot of these things particularly with the masks maybe for people who are wearing hearing aids who are finding that problem that Paul Dick has identified maybe if you go with the mask you know the masks that you can get with like the strings on the side and you tie them around the back of your head yourself and there's four sets of strings on them they would be not over your ears that, that might work that might help you can also get those plastic bands that you put at the back to stop if for some people they find that the that the the elastic bands of the masks, and I know nurses in hospitals and have to wear them for long periods, can pull on their ears. And there's like a little plastic strap that you can get you and you can put it put at the back of your head, and you slot in the over the ears bit into the plastic strap and it takes the pressure away from, from your ears. That might work for somebody with hearing aids as well. But yeah, there are all kinds of problems like that that are coming up uh, for, for sure. Thank you for that, uh, Paul Hope you are keeping well. Hi, Patricia. A friend of mine is going to take her driving test soon. She wears glasses and as you know, there can be an issue with fogging up when you're wearing a mask. Would you know if wearing a face shield would be allowed instead of a face mask? Now, I know I asked Bernie when this text came in, we've sent an email off to the RSA to see if we can get clarity for that listener. Because if you go onto their website, where they're giving all of the new procedures that are in place to stop the spread of COVID 19, it says on it that customers and driver testers will be provided with a face covering during the test, which must, and they have must in bold black writing, must be worn. But they do say that customers who cannot wear a face covering must notify the RSA prior to the uh, test. So let's wait and see what we get back from the RSA. And, And failing that, I would suggest to your friend that she contacts them if she feels that every time she's driving that her glasses are fogging up again. Maybe in advance of the test when she's out driving, try different face masks because there's lots of different face masks you can get now and for people who have this issue with with glasses uh, you'll find different ones that will work there's ones what your friend needs is a face mask that has something that it fits snugly over your nose some of the homemade ones some of the ones that people are, are are making certainly the ones that Claire Sweeney sent in to us has it's something is across the bridge of the nose so you can flatten it down over your nose and it will, you know, it would certainly stop. I don't wear glasses, but I'm assuming it will stop the fogging up of glasses. But again, get her to try, get her to try various different ones. But we'll get on to the RSA and we'll see what they say because she's not going to be on her own with that. And then Helen contacted us from Kent She took her driving test on Monday. She's 67 years of age. She got the letter on Friday to say she had a test booked for Monday. Yeah, Martin, our driving instructor, did say there was very short notice on on it. Anyway, she decided she'd go ahead and do the test. The test was in Mallow. She does wear glasses and her fear factor was that the mask would steam up the glasses but on the morning that she got the message on Friday didn't she get a phone call to say her sister had passed away? Oh goodness. Anyway, the drive, the instructor when she turned up on Monday she obviously said you know, I got notification of the test and then my sister sadly passed away and the instructor said look would you like to defer on the test and do it on another time but she said no she was ready for the test so she decided You know, and for a lot of people just trying to get it over and done with it I don't know how long Helen has waited to take her test but anyway she decided she'd go through with it she thought she had done really well but when they got back she unfortunately was told she had failed it was her third time taking the test uh, 85 euro each time Ah, that's heartbreaking I don't know what if you're using a driving instructor or not but I would get back on to a good drive Driving instructor, and wait. Let the driving instructor dictate when they feel you are ready to take the test. Now, I don't know. Maybe it was nerves on the day, but my heart bleeds for you because I think emotionally you were going through so much. Firstly, you had very little notice that the test—you know, Friday to Monday—very little notice to know that you're going to be taking your test, and then you the whole emotional side of losing your much loved uh, sister and even though you wanted to go through with the test that had to be playing on your mind as well. My heart breaks for you but apply again and please God you'll get it the next time. But before you apply again I would say I don't know if you've been taking driving lessons. If you haven't go back to a good driving instructor and get some lessons in and they may be able to point out where you're going wrong and hopefully next time round hopefully it'll be fourth time lucky for you and you will pass your test with uh, flying colours. Uh, hi Patricia. By the way get you your questions in, please, for Jane, our resident vet. She's going to be joining us after half past 12, 1850 If you want Sadie or Bernie to take your questions or you can text or WhatsApp me here to the studio on 0862 103 103 If you have a pet question for Jane, Patricia, can I ask you, please, and could you find out for me? I was out of work in March for a month and I did get the COVID-19 payment of €350 Euro a week. But the doctor wants me out again. So I'm wondering, will that, will I get that payment again? Well, I went on mywelfare.ie and the 350 euro payment is for people self-isolating or with a COVID-19 diagnosis so I'm assuming you were put out in March because you were queried with COVID-19 or you were told to uh, self-isolate uh, and that's where the illness benefit increased from 203 euro a week to 350 euro. It doesn't say, I mean it's on, on this it says I could apply now if I was re- ready to apply, you need all the certificate from your doctor uh, f- about a certificate of incapacity for work due to COVID-19. It doesn't say anything on it that, that you can't apply a second time and I'm assuming that there will be, you won't be on your own, there will be other people who would have been out due to COVID-19 uh, then will be back at work and uh, would have to go back out again, would have to self isolate for example if they were in contact with somebody who had COVID-19. So I would check with my E but I certainly can't see anything on it to indicate that you can't apply for it a uh, second time. 1850 103 Earlier uh, we mentioned what the Uh, our Foreign Affairs Minister I'm trying to get used to who all the new ministers are uh, Simon Coveney he was talking about the green list for travel and then that leaves the rest of the world on this red uh, list and he had uh, suggested that visitors from countries deemed to be of high level of COVID-19. He was suggesting that we they may be required to produce a negative test for the virus before they travel uh, here to uh, Ireland. He was saying that what he would suggest we do in this country is that we require people to produce a certificate to say that they do not have COVID-19. They would have to go for a test 48 hours before they will be allowed to board a plane in Ireland. And he cited Aus- Austria as an example. They're doing that at the moment and he's saying that is something he would be interested at looking at and it would give people a little bit of peace of mind about the tourists that are coming into this country or visitors that are coming to this country are people who are returning home to visit families that want to come to this country that if they could have a test done in their own country 48 hours before they travel and they then would get a certificate and it would mean when they'd hand in their boarding card they'd hand in the certificate they wouldn't be allowed on the plane unless they had this search and if they're doing it in Austria why can't we do it in this uh, country. A listener was listening to that and said Patricia we here in Ireland are being encouraged to holiday in Ireland this year with the state occasion." I don't think it is unreasonable to ask visitors to take a test before they leave their own country as proof that they are negative prior to travel. Without this cert, they should simply not be allowed through customs. This should also apply to people travelling from Ireland. No cert, no travel. And I I don't think anyone would have an issue with that or there would be a cost you'd have to pay to get the test uh, done but I don't think anyone would have an issue I think I mean I have no intentions to travel outside of this country but I think if I was in a position that I did have to travel I think I would have better peace of mind knowing that I was leaving and that I didn't have uh, COVID-19 because I think it would be a real worry for people travelling anywhere that if you travelled feeling fine and then suddenly you arrive at your destination and you become unwell. If you've ever been on holidays and you become unwell on holidays you'll know the last place you want to be is away from home when you're sick. You want to be at home. So I think a lot of people will agree with that. We'll follow this one with interest. As I say, at the moment, it's a suggestion from the Foreign Affairs Minister, Simon uh, Coveney. And then I mentioned the figures, the latest figures that are out on uh, COVID-19, the updated figures that we got uh, yesterday. And there was a breakdown done of the age group of the people that are presenting with COVID-19 and we know it's more younger people now are testing positive with COVID-19. For example, over the last 14 days, the median age of confirmed cases is now at 33, with 77% of people testing positive for COVID-19 are at 45. Now, listeners uh, is picking up on that. Rob, thank you Rob for putting your name on your text. Uh, when, you, when you're when looking at those figures, doesn't it show, the, doesn't that tell its own story? That yes, young people are getting COVID-19, but they're not being hospitalised. Because while we're seeing an increase in COVID-19 positive cases, we're not seeing an increase in the number of people being hospitalised. If anything, the number of people being hospitalised is falling, thank God. And certainly the number of people in ICU has been falling. So Rob is saying, what do we learn from those figures? Doesn't it show that? For the vast majority of people, this is not a serious illness. Surely we all know people now who have had COVID 19 and only suffered minor symptoms. If you even look at some media celebrities in this country, Ryan Tauberty and uh, Claire Byrne, they both had COVID 19, but they had relatively minor symptoms. Uh, Rob says he personally knows of nurses who were diagnosed with covid-19 they had very mild uh, symptoms. So that being said, Rob says is it now up to elderly people to stay at home if they're concerned at looking after their own uh, if they are concerned and let them look after their own health. Uh, Rob says life has to go on. This virus is here to stay or certainly here to stay until we get a vaccine. So Rob is kind of saying that for everybody else take the risk, go out and get COVID-19, you're only going to get mild symptoms and that if it's only going to kill older people, then for the older people, they should stay at home, which is, (sighs) Rob, kind of selfish, isn't it? Isn't it a kind of a selfish view? What do we do? We lock up every older person and say, sure, it's only affecting you. You stay there and we'll get on with the rest of our lives. And can I say, you have no guarantee. Yeah, yeah, for the majority of other people outside of those in the at risk groups, the older people and those who are medically vulnerable. For everybody else, the majority it will be a it'll be you become unwell, but you know, you won't be too bad. I accept that and you won't end up in hospital. But that's not the case for everyone because there has been cases of people who weren't in the at-risk group. There has been cases of younger people who got COVID-19. Some of them have died, but some of them have left have been left with very serious health implications. And certainly watching the Primetime Investigates programme last night, that young nurse who ended up having to be hospitalised. She was 20 days after having COVID-19 and she came back to the hospital to St. James's Hospital, she was a nurse at the hospital so she was going back to her place of work but this time she was coming back as a patient and she was having heart palpitations and you could see her, she was having difficulty breathing and then they admitted her to the hospital and then a few days later when she started to look a bit better she just simply got up out of her bed and went in to go to the toilet and her heart rate went up by 5%. I mean to me it looked like that there's something wrong has she been left with some lifelong heart condition. I, I don't know what the long-term prognosis is for. So Rob, so I don't think it's as easy to say "Should let the rest of us get on with our lives and if we forget COVID-19 we'll be fine because there's no guarantee we will be fine. And there was that heartbreaking story of that doctor in Dublin, he had been a locum in a number of hospitals, who passed away at uh, fifty nine years of age, he had no underlying health condition, and he wouldn't been he wouldn't have been in the at risk group. And at fifty nine, he wouldn't have been one of the ones cocooning. It was the people over seventy who were uh, cocooning. And I don't know, Rob, if you think fifty nine is elderly, would you have, would you have had him not working and staying at home to protect himself and his lovely family that have been left behind. Absolutely heartbroken. So, no, I'd, I'd be slow to say, Rob, just all those in the Asher's groups, you stay at home and the rest of us will get on with, uh, with our lives. Uh, but maybe others will agree with you, Rob. 1850 333 103. Text or WhatsApp zero eight six two one zero three one zero three. 103 Patricia, what do other listeners think of the money that they're talking about giving back for staycationing? Why do we have to wait until October? And what about people who might only spend around €300 Euro on On a two-night stay, will they not receive anything? Okay, we're waiting for the actual wording of what's going to happen with this staycation subsidy which the government are going to announce today as part of the July stimulus package. What's been suggested is going to happen that holidaymakers and diners will have to spend up to €625 and then they'll be able to claim back a maximum of 125 for a single person or €250 for a couple. I'm... Now, I don't know if you have to, if to spend the 625 before you can claim back or is it when you spend 625, you get the maximum, which is 125 or 250. Whereas on 300 euro, would you get half of that back? Would you get 75 euro back? We'll wait for the detail in it. And I imagine as well, you, you possibly, this is where I'm thinking, if they go down the what had been suggested that they use an app whereby you would scan in your receipts because it isn't just for hotel stays. It would be for meals out in restaurants as well. You can't put your drinks bill onto it. But if you went out for a nice meal on Saturday night, you could claim back on that particular meal. So maybe you could gather up all of your your receipts because they're talking about doing it that will run from the start of October until April of next year. So I'm imagining you can... Do it over the whole period of time and then claim it back. But we're going to have to wait and see. We're just going to have to wait and see what they come up with when it gets announced. 1850 333 103. Jerry in from says, if a house was on fire, you would not let the people back in until the fire is. Out properly. We should not be letting people into this country until COVID-19 is sorted. We are getting on top of the virus here in this country. How short-sighted are the politicians to be allowing tourists into this country and to be allowing Irish people to travel abo- abroad? We should treat this like a war. I feel the politicians are being negligent by allowing people into this uh, country. And Claudia in Klan says, what about Micheál Martin? He was back in the Dáil yesterday after his trip to Brussels. Uh, to me, that's not showing leadership at least Leo was coming out with regular statements and Mary knows of people coming and Mary knows of people is this Claudia or Mary sorry knows the people coming in from England with camper vans um, oh sorry that's a separate call my apologies Mary knows people coming in camper vans okay on um, uh, Micheál Martin as far as I know he got tested for COVID-19 as soon as he came back from uh, Brussels did he wait for the results before he went into the convention centre I'm assuming he did uh, we got this checked The ministers, when they're going abroad on essential work and he going to the EU summit so was deemed essential work they don't have to self-isolate or restrict their movements for 14 days that's why some people said different rule for them different rule for us but on people coming in in uh, camper vans uh, Mary has seen a number of them and that obviously is worrying uh, her uh, 1850 333 103 and actually thank you too. it was Heidi sent this in and I did see this over the weekend I don't know how many people headed to uh, West Cork to the beaches at the weekend End, but there was a video doing the rounds. It went up on social media at the weekend and the Gardaí ended up having to intervene. It was a mass traffic jam at the causeway near Bar- Barley, Cove Beef, Barley Cove Beach in West Cork last Sunday. Traffic was lodged for a number of hours as the car park to the beach reached full capacity and then people literally, the whole causeway was backed up and The video I saw was taken at a corner where people came around to go onto the causeway and realised, oh my God, that's a traffic jam. So what I was witnessing was people just doing U-turns, turning their cars around and uh, heading back. But you could see that people were stuck in that traffic jam. I wondered how long it went on for. But uh, according to some reports, it went on for many hours. So I don't know if you were one of those people. And it was a beautiful, beautiful day, lovely day to head to the Barley Cove. But Cancus thousands of others decided to do the same thing but then we've been told to staycation so when the weather gets fine we're, we're going to expect that, we're going to see that, we're going to see more and more people heading to the beach and of course in many of our beaches unfortunately we don't have enough car park spaces at many of our beaches and we're going to be faced with that if we get a really good weather throughout August which we're all hoping and praying we will, we'll be seeing a lot more of those scenes guaranteed. 1850 lines open
0: the C103 Cork
2: Diary
1: with Cork County Council Supporting businesses Supporting communities Serving Cork Visit CorkCoco.ie
2: Kiss Game Parish are holding their collection for Cork Penny Dinners next Sunday It'll be held in the local community centre They're asking people to donate non-perishable goods home baking and cash would be gratefully appreciated While Castletown Bear Development Association they will hold a drive-in bingo It's happening tomorrow Friday at the pier in Castletown Bear Starts at half past eight You're asked to please Please arrive early and have the correct admission fee uh, ready. The jackpot tomorrow night will be €1,600 in 51 calls or less. Good luck to everybody taking part in the bingo. And Carrigaline Country Market will be open tomorrow Friday from half past eight to half past ten. And that'll be in the Carrigaline Band. Room. Record today on C103.
0: Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your
2: comment. 086 103 103. OK, some of your thoughts coming in by text. They are telling us to staycation, but every hotel that you stay in uh, you have to have a meal and then go to bed. There are lots of hotels will not give you a drink unless you are eating. Of course, the hotel bars are closed. They were hoping that the bars would open last um, Monday. Will that change from the 10th of August? Only time will, will tell. And um, and obviously, I'm assuming that's the same if you're a resident. You can't get a drink either because the bar is closed. Hi Patricia, I was up in Galway last weekend in Salt Hill. Every second car was English registered. It was a joke. It has to stop or at least get these people to to get tested before they actually come into this country. And John says, Patricia, what about all the people who lost their money on holidays after the 1st of July? When the flights started again, will they be compensated, Uh, says John. No, unfortunately, a lot of people lost a lot of money because once the flight went even though people decided for very obvious reasons not to go and the advice in the government was not uh, to go and they're not getting their money back. Eighteen fifty three 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 There is a the gorgeous story that's making all of the papers today with lovely photographs as well of Rosanna Day- Davison our Miss World and uh, daughter of uh, Christenberg. She is welcoming what she calls her two miracle uh, babies. Now Rosanna Davis, uh, as uh, was she... A lot, very openly I have to say last year spoke about her journey to surrogacy uh, because she had been trying herself and her husband Was I think literally since they've been married had been trying to have a baby and she suffered 14 miscarriages and she had all but given up on having a child herself. So they went on the surrogacy route uh, last year and they had a very successful surrogacy. They went to the Ukraine and they have a little baby girl thanks to surrogacy. Lo and behold, during lockdown, didn't she discover, she said shocked to discover that she was pregnant with tw- twins. She said she's relishing every single moment of the journey and she put it up on her Instagram story yesterday posting pictures and just telling all of her followers that she is pregnant and she is now five months pregnant uh, with twin boys they're identical uh, twin boys she was told that she would never be able to carry her own baby full term and it was due to a suspected immune system dysfunction which medical intervention had failed to resolve she never had an issue getting pregnant But her problem was she wasn't able to carry the babies and therefore she went on to have miscarriage after miscarriage after miscarriage, 14 miscarriages in uh, total. And then lo and behold, during lockdown, uh, she discovers she gets pregnant naturally with the twins. And she said it's just an absolute dream come true. Her twin baby news has confounded medics and she has said her doctors literally cannot offer her uh, an explanation. But she does believe that slowing down and relaxing completely at home during lockdown has helped her to conceive. She's a qualified nutritionist and uh, she said that fertility miracles may take time, but she said they can happen in the most unexpected and magical ways. And she went on at uh, Insta to say that she's sending so much love to all those who are still on your baby journey. Never Give up hope," and she said. "It's one of the reasons that she wanted to share it because she knows there are so many other people who are really struggling with fertility issues. So it's just it's a gorgeous, gorgeous story. And needless to say, Roseanne Davison, you can easily see where she became Miss world. She's stunningly beautiful, but gorgeous to see her showing off her little bump on uh, Instagram uh, yesterday. Uh, we wish her uh, love and luck with the rest of the pregnancy, and she's going to the babies are going are due little after the bay her little baby daughter's first birthday. So she's going to end up, uh, she, she, it's possible that she will end up with three under 13 months. She certainly will have three in uh, nappies. And yesterday we were sharing the good news story that one lucky Irish player, had won on the Euro Millions, or just under 50 million Euro was won on Tuesday night's draw and we were hoping that it had been somebody in Dunmanway because we shared that lovely story, Colm O'Sullivan, the manager of the gala in Dunmanway, came on to share how a woman had come in to the gala shop in Dunmanway to asked to check the Euro Millions numbers and when the two people working gave her the numbers, she looked at the numbers and went, oh my God, and ran out of the shop. And then they subsequently found out there'd been a winner in Ireland. So they put, we all put two and two together and came up with 50 million and reckoned it had been a win in Dunmanway. And it seems it wasn't. Uh, it's the, someone in Leinster has won the 50 million. And it was done on the internet. It was somebody bought the ticket online. It was a €2.50 selection the, so it means the National Lottery have sent an email out yesterday morning. So somebody woke up yesterday morning, I don't know if they checked their email straight away or not, but would have got an email from the National Lottery because they did it online to say you've won just under 50 million. And of course, it's the second time the top prize has been won, won this year alone in Ireland. And it's the 16th time we've had a big win since this EuroMillions kicked off back in 2004. But it the winning ticket was a €2.50 normal play selection, which meant the person picked their own numbers. So we take it maybe the, all the numbers had significance uh, to the person and the winner has still been asked to contact the National Lottery as soon as possible to claim their uh, prize. What a win. So it's gone to somebody. And let's just not to say that there isn't a, isn't a Cork connection. We like to think that there is. But uh, it certainly wasn't anybody in Dunmanway. where. If you've got a pet question for Jane Pickett, our resident vet, can you get it into us please? You can text or WhatsApp your pet question to oh eight six two. One o three, one o three. Call today on C one o three.
0: Call Patricia with your comment
2: eighteen fifty three 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 one o three. And we're going to the Island Wood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket, part of the Street Veterinary Group, where Jane Pickett joins us. Good afternoon to you, Jane. Hi there. And you're very welcome to the program. Okay, straight in with uh, questions. Uh, Jane, another Jane says, "How do I get rid of cat flu in older cats? I have tried things like antibiotics, etc., all to no avail."
8: Cat flu is a really, really big, challenging collection of diseases. So there's a number of different viruses and bacteria that can cause cat flu, all presenting with very, very similar symptoms. So in cats, cats normally present with cat flu with a snotty nose, sometimes a lot of sneezing, a little bit of coughing, but sometimes uh, a a lot of eye discharge as well. Gunky eyes is one of the most common ways I see them presenting um, at appointments first day. It can be really frustrating both for the cats and for yourself. what I would say is hang in there. So what can happen is that cats can be infected with one of these viruses or bacteria that cause the syndrome of cat flu, usually very young in life. And sometimes it's something that they have once and it goes away. But more commonly, it's something that hides out in the system. Um, so they'll get a the first round of flu and then everything will look perfect the virus will regress back into the system and wait until the cat is under a period of stress and the immune system is compromised and then it'll start up again. So this is why sometimes it can drag on quite a lot. Um, I think the main thing is that we keep the cat comfortable and happy and try and get it to resolve the symptoms as best you can. That's always the priorities with the, the cases of cat flu I see. I think work closely with your vet. It, I know it can be really challenging to sometimes not get a full cure, but the main thing really is controlling the symptoms and making your little cat comfortable. So sometimes that might involve antibiotics. Sometimes it might involve other strategies like uh, breathing in warm air, like nebulizing to soften up the mucus, things like that. I think your, your vet will know your cat best and know the likely underlying cause of that cat flew best. So I think consult with your vet um, and just have faith in the plan because a lot of the time we, we, we don't really get a full resolution but the pet will feel a lot better.
2: Okay, Shirley by uh, WhatsApp to 0862103103 My cats and dogs are continuously sneezing. Uh, Would Jane have a, a remedy? And obviously it's something that's just come on. Could that be hay fever?
8: Actually I was just thinking exactly the same thing. If they're all having a bit of a, a a violent sneeze every now and again. It's very much like humans. Sometimes it can just have a uh, something in the air whether it be a pollen or something like that of a plant that we might not necessarily recognize as in flower or hanging around but you know they will know it's there usually it's usually one animal that will become affected by it and it may certainly be the case that more than one animal might be a little bit sensitive and might be having these kind of little inflammation of the airways hay fever-like symptoms um, and doing a little bit of sneezing but what i would say is i just I'd, a little word of caution, normally it's one or two pets because it's it's like us, not all of us get hay fever. Some of us do, some of us don't. It would have to be a bit of a coincidence for a number of the animals in the household to all get the same symptoms, um, to be, let's say, a little bit allergic to some pollen that's out there. Far more common is if they have a little bit of a cold or a flu. Um, so they've all picked up, let's say, a little bit of a bacteria or a virus that might be causing uh breathing symptoms so might be causing sneezing or coughing that's a lot more common um, as long as they're otherwise well in themselves eating and drinking running about like nobody's business and very happy you could give it a day or two and see if it settles however what I would say is it probably might be best practice not to expose your animals to other animals over the uh, over the period of time just in case it is uh, a virus or an infection that they have you don't want to pass them to, to somebody else however I would say if they're in any way ill in themselves or if it carries on for more than a few days I think seeing your vet would definitely be the next course of action because there's a number of things that can cause underlying sneezing it may be that they might need treatment such as an anti-inflammatory or an antibiotic but really it's on a case by case basis so I think if we're all well you can give it a few days if there's any signs of other illness and or it might just settle
2: might. down it might, it just, might, se- just, it settle might down. just settle down ok would Jane have any tips to stop a cat doing his business on my lawn please and I'm assuming this isn't the listener's cat oh, it's a neighbourhood I'm, cat
8: my heart goes out to it's it's really tough <laughs> it's very tough and very frustrating when you see your beautiful lawn turn a funny shade of yellow um it's a really tough challenge because their natural instinct is to mark territory and um, so they've probably decided your lawn is beautiful enough that they want to, to christen it with some some pee and claim it as their own so it's a bit of a challenge and um, there are products you can get um it's brand names. There's a one called Get Off. There's many, many other ones available, and they just have a really funny smell. and normally, that would be if there's a particular spot that they keep going back to to urinate on, um, or if there's a particular area that you really want to keep urine free. Doing it over an entire lawn will be a real challenge. Um, so I,
1: I do think they
2: have a tendency to return to the same spot? Do they like to sort of keep yeah, an area that's that's my to, toilet? Sort yeah, of thing, they want yeah. to refresh. Because they're quite clean, cats are.
8: Oh, incredibly, yeah. incredibly. So generally, if they pee somewhere, it's on purpose. yeah, um, so they probably think they've done a very clever thing, <laughs> but it, it's not so clever when a wrecks alone. It's really, really hard. You ca- you could try some of the products. Have a look online. I think there is there's a number of products available that have a, a kind of a smell, essentially, the cat we might not smell it, but cats might find it quite. Offensive to them, um, so it generally means they don't want to be in that area, so they don't feel like they need to mark it as their territory. Um, but as I say, large areas will become a, a bit of a problem, both cost-wise and even just feasibility getting it done. Having barriers around, if you can, kind of find the way that the cat gets into your garden, if not your cat, and try and try and block that up. So maybe access is a little bit more challenging than usual. Then that might be a no.
2: might be an easier way. Cats are great at getting in and out of oh, places they if they if they need to. Okay, a couple of people have problems with dogs barking. Hi, uh, Jay. I have a three-year-old golden Labrador when I walk him he barks at everyone any tips on how to stop him I have two other Labradors they're fine it's only the golden Labrador and we have another listener who has a Jack Russell a female Jack Russell who just is hell bent on protecting its owner and anytime anyone comes near the house or anyone comes near her barks like mad I mean typical Jack Russell you know I'm the king of the castle kind of thing barking how do you stop barking Barking?
8: With difficulty. Um, time and perseverance. So I think it's really important to look at the underlying causes, really. I think our little dog that's out on the walks barking at everyone. Um, part of it could be kind of attention-seeking, wanting to wanting to get nearer, but part of it could be protective. And it's most commonly, in my experience, protective. Um, they're with their owner and they are, they're out in a strange place and they see other dogs and other people. Um, they want to deter them away because they kind of feel like they're 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 the bodyguard in this situation, so a lot of the time it's really just a deterrent and there may not be any underlying aggression. They just want to keep their person safe a lot of the time. They don't quite understand that it's an unhelpful unhelpful behaviour. I think really important is socialising the pet, but in a controlled way. So I suppose if you know that that dog is going to do a lot of barking, Having people around, if you if you have friends that have dogs, and and this is provided that dog has not shown any aggression and in a very controlled environment, try and socialise them with other people, and you know get comfortable with talking to other people and ignoring the barking. Um, a lot of the time, if we react to the barking in a negative way, that reinforces the behaviour in a sense because they they can sometimes construe that as panic, and um, so they need to protect you more. So I think the more you can kind of just calmly go about your business calmly try and socialise that dog with both people and other dogs in a very careful way, making sure there's no risk to anyone, then I think, he may learn that he maybe doesn't need to protect you as much um, and the behavior might count, but I think really key to that is just remaining calm yourself and not panicking. I, I My heart goes out to you because my little dog, Sally, um, I, I took her on kind of quite late in life and I suspect she may not have been very well socialized before that. If I go walking in the woods, I automatically have to apologize to everybody I meet because she just barks at everyone because she thinks she's protecting me and she's never very well socialised. And it's it's quite an embarrassing thing, but I think the the best strategy to really get them to calm down is just calmly talk to the people as they pass you by, make sure that everybody's safe in the situation, keep the dog on lead, keep them away from people just so they don't feel overwhelmed and there's no potential for aggression. But really just keeping calm pretending nothing's happening with the barking, don't negatively reinforce it. But if they do keep quiet and have a positive interaction with people, really positively reinforce them, tell them they're the best dog ever. And I think it's just patience and time.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's just not to react. Uh, Chris says, uh, could you ask Jane, please, at what age can you get a female cat spayed? Okay, so
8: it really depends on your local vest. Um, cats actually have the potential to be able to have babies very, very young in life, so anywhere from four or five months onward. Um, so really getting in there early is is key to preventing the growing population of cats in the country. Um, I would say most vets would definitely be happy to do it from, let's say, at five six months of age some vets will request that you pop in for a pre-neutering appointment to weigh them and assess whether they're kind of a good weight for surgery um i know a lot a lots of places will do them very younger from about four months onwards i think the best thing to do is have a chat to your your local vet where, where your cat will be having the operation discuss the procedure with them and they'll discuss the the situation individual to your cat uh your cat size because there's great variability actually yeah. depending yeah. on their like so aunt- humans yeah exactly like humans so some must say uh, you know a formato cat might be a big bruiser of a cat but another one might be absolutely teeny tiny so I think speak to your vet discuss with them their preference and
2: go from there. What the best thing to do Chris good move. Yeah. Alright listen have a good week we'll talk to you next Thursday. Thank you very and much. Thank you for that bye bye Jane Pickett of the Island Wood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket part of the Mill Street Veterinary uh, Group. Uh, that's where I leave you for uh, today. Uh, before we go and in Cork City this is on the large queues of traffic going to Barley Cove Beach, she said, surely, surely health and safety should come into play. The car should have been turned away if too many people are arriving at the beach. The locals are entitled to enjoy their beach as well. How right you are. Okay, thanks to Bernie and Sadie. We're back with you tomorrow at ten.
0: Cool fact.